I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast about everything for supply chain advantage. So let's begin. During the past two weeks, an unfolding drama has occurred in the Suez Canal as the motor vessel Ever Given, owned by a Japanese company but chartered to Evergreen, a Taiwanese shipping company, has been stuck at near to the entrance, six kilometers in, to the Suez Canal, blocking shipping in both directions. It's lodged itself across the canal, and nothing can pass. Marine salvage experts have been working tirelessly, along with the Suez Canal Authority, to try and move the ship using various means. One of the big changes, of course, that we've seen since the 1960s with the development of standard 20-foot boxes as containers for all sorts of goods is that actually it's an awful lot cheaper to send goods anywhere in the world. It was very expensive in the 1960s to ship goods around the globe, but the container changed all that because you could pack an awful lot of stuff into one of those 20-foot containers. And you could share containers and you can essentially move anything anywhere. So the economics changed significantly. The first containers in the world were 58 aluminium truck bodies aboard an aging tanker ship moored in Newark, New Jersey. And they sailed into Houston with 58 trucks waiting to take off metal boxes and haul them to the destination. It was the beginning of a revolution. That's what Mark Levinson says in his book about the box. Malcolm McLean, a former trucker who invented the box, designed the first containers, and he recounted a tale about spending hours in late 1937 queuing at a Jersey City pier to unload trucks. He realized it'd be quicker, simpler to hoist a whole container to a truck body and ship the goods that way. And so began the container revolution, which culminates in these giant ships sailing with 200,000 containers on board. I doubt he ever envisaged that. Ever Given is a golden-class container vessel. It's 400 meters in length and 60 meters wide and capable of transporting over 20,000 20-foot containers. The average value of goods in a 20-foot container is said to be around $50,000 based on insurance estimates. A full ship this size could carry up to a billion dollars in cargo. The Ever Given was launched in 2018. It's owned by Shoei Kisan Keisha of Japan chartered to the Taiwanese company Evergreen Marine and registered in Panama, managed by a German company, Bernard Schult Ship Management. Evergiven is one of the longest container ships in service, with a gross weight of 220,000 tonnes and a dead weight around 200,000 tonnes. Like all these ships, it's powered by a low-speed two-stroke diesel engine. The fully laden draft of the ship is said to be under 15 metres, it currently has an all-Indian crew numbering 25, and crew size is often determined by the gross weight of the ship and the port of registration. Intermodal traffic has seen container ships with just 100 standard 20 boxes in the 1960s grow to the giants of the sea we see today with over 20,000 20-foot equivalent units on board. At the same time, operating costs for these ships has fallen in terms of 
crew sizes. They've shrunk over the past 20 years or so by about 50%. And some people have been concerned about the safety of vessels given the smaller crew sizes. In addition to the crew, there were two Egyptian pilots, which is normal to help the ship through the canal, provided by the Suez Canal Company. When it ran aground on Tuesday the 23rd of March in heavy 40-knot winds and a sandstorm. The ship is currently en route from Tanjung Palapanese, Malaysia, to Rotterdam in the Netherlands, and it's currently grounded in the Suez Canal, lodged diagonally across the full width of the canal since Tuesday the 23rd of March. Marine salvage teams have been working tirelessly to free the ship and refloat it, but they're having some difficulty moving the ship. Tugs have tried to dislodge the ship, and on Thursday the 25th of March, they weren't as successful as they'd hoped. They next tried to shift the ship by moving sand and mud from underneath the uh, grounded parts of the ship to hopefully let some water flow through. And consideration has also been given to removing the containers to lighten the load of the ship to raise its 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 level so it's easier to to manoeuvre. But this is no easy task with a such a large ship stuck in such a small space with little equipment to hand to manoeuvre the ship easily. Or indeed to take the containers off the ship. Very large cranes would have to be moved from Alexandria, which is a distance away, to move the containers off the ship. The Ever Given has one incident on its record, which was a collision with a small ferry ship in Hamburg back in February 2019. But apart from that, there haven't been any major incidents with the ship. Ever Given is currently holding up a further 320 ships or more lined up to cross at the point where the ship is lodged. It's estimated that there is currently over $10 billion of cargo waiting to sail through Suez, which is the shortest route between Asia and Europe. Many ships that have not yet entered the canal have or may decide to sail around the Cape of Good Hope, but that adds around about five days each way, which is 10 days in total. The journey time and the 3,000 nautical miles each way, in addition to the fuel costs involved, is significant. Some ships, of course, that haven't entered the canal already will divert around the Cape of Good Hope because they will not wish to be held up. The British built the Suez Canal over a 10-year period from 1859 to 69. But back in the time when it was built, it didn't carry such large ships. The ship sizes were much smaller. It's only in the past few years that these gigantic container ships have really grown in length and, of course, in height with the containers that they actually carry. The Suez Canal carries around about 12% of global trade each year. Up to $10 billion of goods can pass through the Suez Canal on a daily basis. 20% of the UK imports travel the route from Asia this way, and they bring all sorts of things. Electronic goods, TVs, medicines, furniture, homewares, toys, white goods, including washing machines, dishwashers, fridges, clothing, textiles, 
aircraft parts, precious metals, shoes, carpets, computers, cameras, microchips, phones, musical instruments, car parts, and of course, vehicles from Japan and South Korea. In 2019, close to 200 billion pounds traveled via container ships through sewers with such goods. An event such as this has not previously disrupted the flow of traffic through the Suez Canal since it was opened in 1869. It's an unlikely event. It's difficult to predict or plan for in advance. This type of disruption with near zero probability but massive impact is impossible to avoid. When it happens, it has consequences for many ships with intersecting supply chains caught in the traffic jam. One thing is certain in supply chains, and that is at some point, some disruption will happen. You can listen to how I talk about disruption and complexity in a previous podcast. The more that these larger vessels are routed through relatively congested and narrow shipping lanes, of course, will most likely increase the probabilities of disruption. Although right now the priority is to dislodge and refloat the ship, it does pose an interesting mathematical problem to calculate future risk. If you can translate uncertainty into calculated risk, then you can plan for and avoid disruptions. No doubt insurers will be working on those calculations as we speak. There will be lessons to learn from the unprecedented incident in the Suez Canal, but it will take a few weeks or months to establish all the reasons why the ship has run aground in the way it did, and what we can do differently to learn from that situation. No doubt the Suez Canal Company will be working with the owners to find out what happened and what can be done to avoid repeat incidents in future. The chairman of the Suez Canal indicated on Saturday the 27th of March that technical difficulties or human error may be responsible for the accident, but in my opinion it's probably too early to give a reason. The operation to refloat the grounded ship blocking the Suez Canal has been in progress since the accident occurred on Tuesday the 23rd of March. The stern of the ship has now been freed from the shoreline. The Suez Canal Authority reported on Monday the 29th that the ship had been corrected by 80%. This remains a complex operation and work to move the ship further is expected to recommence later on the 29th. The ship will need to be checked for damage to the hull by divers before restarting the engines to get the ship on its way if possible. And it's hoped this will resolve the issue. Peter Badarsky is head of the Dutch salvage company, and he's commented that dredging mud and sand from the bow had brought some progress before he went on to caution that containers may need to be removed if this didn't work to get more movement on the ship. There are now around 360 ships waiting to recommence their journeys through sewers, and they'll be hoping everything goes to plan. Well, the good news is that on Monday afternoon at around about 2.30, 3pm, the ship has been refloated with a number of tugs working in tandem with cables attached to the ship to manoeuvre it into position and to set it in the middle of the canal in the right direction. And it's travelling north currently to the Great Lake. The Great Lake area is an area of the Suez Canal where there's plenty of room for ships to pass either way. And when the ship, when the Ever Given reaches that 
Great Lake position, it will be assessed for technical capability before continuing on its journey northwards into the Mediterranean and onto Rotterdam. It's travelling currently at about 6.7 knots, so everything has gone well with the salvage company and the Suez Canal company working together to rectify the problem, and uh, that's really good news for other ships in the area. And of course for maybe the live animal cargoes on some of those ships so that they can get to their destinations in good condition too. So that's probably the end of the Ever Given story for the time being, but it just shows how disruption can be caused in a moment and what you thought was a relatively straightforward, smooth journey from a port in Malaysia through to Rotterdam a trip that's probably been done many times before can go wrong at some some stage. And obviously the Suez Canal at certain points is, is very narrow uh, for these very large vessels that pass through. The next step now, of course, is to get the ships through either way and onto the port of destination. And it may be that there's going to be some holdup at the ports of destination as ships queue because they'll all be arriving at a similar time rather than at the distance time that they would have originally entered the port. And so unloading those ships may take a little longer and actually getting the goods on the containers onto trucks to get to the intermediate or final destinations may take some time. So there's still a lot of planning to do to overcome the disruption from the blockage that the Ever Given caused in the Suez Canal. The next thing for everybody involved, of course, is to learn the lessons of why this incident did occur and what we can do or what they can do about it at some time in the future to ensure that it doesn't happen again. I suppose the Suez Canal Company will now have to check the canal itself for any damage before opening it up fully to the other ships passing either way through that section of the canal where the Ever Given was stuck. There will of course be a shortage of 20-foot container boxes as none of those boxes are returning at the moment back to Asia to be refilled with more goods to come back to Europe. So there's a most likely going to be a box shortage. The prices of freight and boxes will no doubt increase as a consequence of the blockage at Suez. And it remains to be seen how long-lasting those additional costs and the delays will impact global supply chains, particularly those coming from Asia to Europe. But no doubt it will have knock-on effect elsewhere. The one thing that the accident in the Suez Canal will do for most people managing supply chains is bring disruption and the idea of resilience right to the top of the agenda. How to avoid disruption, how to think through what-if situations given the types of disruption we've seen with shipping transport and it will also focus minds on what you can do to bounce back from such a, an episode. <laughs> Some numbers from the story. Six days, the ship was delayed. It added a week or more to journeys of other ships caught in the blockage. There are said to be at least 360 ships involved. £10 billion worth of goods held up. Global supply chains delayed, possibly for weeks, as a result of the six-day delay. 3,000 extra miles each way if you have to avoid sewers. Blockages of ports as ships stack up waiting to be unloaded and it just points to the 
reliance placed upon the Suez Canal as a route from Asia to Europe. So, there we are. I've been writing about complexity and disruption in supply chains for the past few weeks, and I created a couple of episodes on disruption and complexity and disruption. And right in the middle, or right during that period, we uh, get a live example. So it's been very interesting. Hope you've enjoyed the episode, and uh, see you next time in the usual podcast. Bye for now. You've been listening to Chain Reaction, all about supply chain advantage, written and presented by Tony Hines. (laughs) 